0: Hello, welcome to my first episode of my podcast, I've Got a Query. Um, This is mainly just for my Global Scholars Project, Um, but, you know, maybe this will become a regular thing, maybe it won't. Let's just see how the wind goes. So this episode is going to be focusing on South Africa, conversion therapy, and exactly what is conversion therapy, and provide some context for when we'll be talking about and what we'll going be talking about next episode whenever I talk about the Ukraine and conversion therapy as well. So conversion therapy is defined as any attempt to change a person's sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression um, by GLAAD, which is a LGBTQ rights activism group and organization. I mean, conversion therapy really only started getting kicked off in the 19th century, whenever it was sort of seen as an Ill- a mental illness by the psychiatric community, and psychiatrists were starting to focus on homosexuality in order, in an attempt to quote-unquote cure it. Some prominent figures in this would be like Eugene Steinek, um, an Australian endocrinologist that theorized that homosexuality, homosexuality was rooted in the, um, human testicles and so he would perform experiments where he would take somebody who was a man who was homosexual and replace some of his testicles or all of his testicles with testicles from a heterosexual male. And then you have somebody like Sigmund Freud um which this is for being so early in the 20th century this is an extremely like progressive idea by our standards today but Sigmund Freud theorized that People were inherently born bisexual, and that they settled on their gender later in life due to conditioning. Um, so they'd be heterosexual f- um, for like reason A. Um, they'd be more likely to become homosexual because of reason B. So he theorized that it was um, nurture instead of nature. I guess would be the correct term. And you know his theory was not very popular in the um, early 20th century, but. Scientists or psychiatrists still went ahead and used it and said that heterosexuality is when all the conditioning goes right, homosexuality is when the conditioning goes wrong. So they devised some therapies to quote unquote cure homosexuality or just treat gay people in general. Um, One of the most popular ones was electroconvulsion therapy where they would attach electrodes to your brain, usually, usually your brain. And they would send electronic pulses in order in an attempt to cure um gay people and this is actually still used today. It's just used to treat bipolar disorder and people who have extreme and severe depression and Another type of therapy was aversion therapy, which is much more aligned with what we would now consider torture <laughs> um basically, aversion therapy was an attempt to make gay people disgusted in the thought of same-sex relations. So, um, this goes back to uh, um, ECT or electroconvulsive therapy also because they would use ECT um, and they would send shocks to um, a subject's genitalia while showing them um, adult material of same-sex couples or or, um, force them to cross-dress. And this was all in an attempt to make to make them have an aversion to homosexuality and being gay instead of being straight or heterosexual. And you start seeing towards um, the 1960s and 70s where a lot of the gay people were coming out and being much more active and um, having much more visibility in everyday life. You start to see that conversion therapy changes from a psychiatric and scientific standpoint to a more faith-based stance with like so-called experts performing conversion therapy instead of psychiatrists. And a lot of these um, therapies really ranged from anywhere from like just regular talk therapy, talking it through, to performing exorcisms on gay people in an attempt to drive out the quote demons. Oh, and by the way, all this um, I'm getting from an article um, from outofallthingshistory.com, which is, this article is very thorough with the history and how conversion therapy really started to pick up in the late and mid 20th century, and even some of the things that created or caused conversion therapy in the late 19th and early 20th century. Um, but this all comes to a head um, nowadays when most major psycholog- um psychology couldn't say that word, psychology organizations um, started to see homosexuality and being gay or being part of the LGBTQ community and not as a mental illness. It was just different, not wrong. And this takes us into South Africa. Um, this is a little bit weird because South Africa is largely considered to be one of the first countries that um, provided LGBTQ protections in its constitution. And it's considered one of the more progressive countries in the world in regards to um, the legal stance on gay people. However, it's pretty clear there is a disconnect between the legality of homosexuality and the social aspect of being accept like accepting the gay community in everyday life in south africa whatever i mean um there is a disconnect i'm saying that you can legally uh, change your gender it requires surgery to change your gender but you can still legally change your gender um there is employment discrimination there is it is legal to adopt homosexuality is legal marriage is legal there is Um, protections against discrimination, you can be in the military and be gay, conversion therapy is technically banned, Um, age of consent is equal for gay people and straight people, and housing discrimination uh, based off of sexual orientation and gender identity is illegal. Um, There is a ban on donating blood um, for gay people, but I think it's important to remember that one of the worst places struck by the HIV crisis in the late 20th century, and even now, was Africa. And it's still a hugely prominent disease in Africa today. However, it's mostly affecting the mid-sub-Saharan um, Africa because it the, that area is a little bit poorer than South Africa, which is, you know, a fairly rich African country, and Northern Africa, which is closer to Europe, and so um, it's always been, or shouldn't say it's always been, but it feels the economic effects of the European economy more because it is in such close proximity. Another thing about Africa, or South Africa, I should say, is that, you know, you had during the, you know the scramble for Africa was a huge thing that happened. I mean, it was very important. So originally um the Dutch colonized South Africa and then the British took it over and they got um independence and in, well they had um the apartheid and gained independence in 1990. So you have these you have these huge major European powers um you know a couple like 100 130 years ago that controlled South Africa. So a lot of the history for South Africa is going to have some history from, you know, um, Great Britain and the Dutch and a lot of other European um, colonizers that colonized Africa. And, you know, the European powers didn't really have much control over their colonies in Africa because they were so far away. So a lot of the well-documented things are not going to be written in English. It's going to be written in the native languages of Africa. And you also... I think it's important to remember Africa is an extremely diverse continent and I mean, it it is so extremely diverse most of the wars and the civil wars and the conflicts between countries that happen in Africa are because of the original um, tribes in Africa that just did not get along and then they're forced into these countries to work together in, in an extremely small period of time and, you know, that's important to remember, because you have you know, the apartheid. Um, the white um, minority in Africa controlled the whole of South Africa, basically. And it wasn't until the apartheid and all of that that the majority African-American community started to gain control and said, hey, we don't really want to be discriminated against anymore. This is, you know, we are the majority here. We should at least have some control over the ruling body of our country. And so whenever they created in the Constitution in 1990, um, they put in some of those progressive ideas from the apartheid. So, but, okay. This is where it gets a little confusing. There is a case on not necessarily conversion therapy, but this does speak to the whole idea of conversion therapy in South Africa. Um, There's a case by by a 15-year-old boy that... um, Raymond Bice. This was a pretty big case in 2011 to 2015. He was killed in 2011 um, by a D... Let me see if I can pronounce this name right without sounding inappropriate. De Cockers. Or De And. It's. It's pretty extreme. It can be. It can be compared to what we are seeing in the United States now. With some. Um. Extremist groups in the United States. Basically. De Cocker was a. Ex-soldier from the apartheid era. In South Africa. Um with the South African Defense Force. And he had this camp where, and he advertised it as a camp that would make men out of boys. And he was, he belonged to a white supremacist group in South Africa, um, part of the AWB, which I'm not going to pronounce the name because it is Afrikaans. And I took German and it's a mix of I believe Dutch in some native African languages. But the AWB is a far-right um, white supremacist group and a neo-Nazi separatist group. So, I, you know, from those few words, neo-Nazi separatist white supremacist group, you can you can get a visual of what that group might stand for <laughs> socially speaking. You know, you could compare it to groups like the KKK, um, specifically the KKK's control in the 1980s because that's when they really were had most or a lot of their modern power. like the KKK is not a group that's very that's not that doesn't hold a lot of power nowadays because it is seen as an extremist group but during you know the 1980s, 1970s, it was seen as this group that's gonna take back the country and make make America white again, for lack of better words. Um, so, you know, you can compare it to the KKK. Um, you can also compare it to, um, if you wanna compare it to something nowadays, it'd be like the Proud Boys or another, you know, neo-Nazi white supremacist group that we can see in America. But going back to the case of Raymond Byes, I, I keep getting off track and I just want to make it clear that my stance on this is I'm, I'm very much against conversion therapy as a gay man. And I'm very much against white supremacy. I'm against neo-Nazi. I am um, more so progressive. And I don't... Like, this is disgusting to read about, but it's also fascinating to get a look into these people's minds and see what they did and what they stood for and really see how we can improve so but going back to Raymond Bies, he was a 15 year old um, white South African kid and his mother you know he was getting into his rebellious teenage years so his mother sent him or found out about this camp from her boyfriend's cousin's or her boyfriend's friend's cousin sorry I said that wrong her boyfriend's friend's cousin and he said yeah um, this worked for my friend's cousin um, we should try it out on Raymond and send him to this camp because it fixed him up it'll probably fix Raymond up you know Raymond was um, smoking cursing um, being on his phone a lot he um, it was said that he had some social challenges. Um, whether that was mentally or not, I don't want to theorize on that, because the focus is not on what it was, but how it was, if that makes sense, and how he was treated. So Raven was sent to this camp, which was owned by DeCocker, and DeCocker had seven kids and a wife, and it was this five-acre plot of land in South Africa. Like, a little bit north of Johannesburg, if you know where that is. So basically, he went, to, um, his parents sent him to this camp. It was, you know, a couple grand. Um, I believe it was 1,200 pounds. I hope I have that figure correct. If not, I'll go back and fix it. But 1,200 pounds um, to send him to this camp. And the things that they did to him there were just... Horrible, because okay, so he was beaten, he was tased, he was forced to eat his own feces, and then forced to eat his dry to eat dry soap afterwards. And on multiple occasions, he tried um, killing himself. He even tried hanging himself, and in order to prevent that, he was chained up to a bed and would sleep at the side of Cocker's like n- um successor. I should say. And, I mean, just, you know, the thought of that is disturbing. Because, I mean, as you can see, this is not easy to talk about. But Braman wasn't specifically gay. But Cocker did call students the F slur. And say, you're just an f So there is that, you know, neo-Nazi homophobia um, very instilled in his values. So while conversion therapy is banned in Africa, or South Africa, sorry. While it's banned in South Africa, it can be hidden behind a mask of a summer camp. And you know, 72% of South African adults think that same sex activity is morally wrong. And whenever you have that dis- disconnect between the government and the people, usually it's not like this. Usually the government is a little bit behind and the people are more progressive. But in this case it's flipped that people are you know considerably less progressive but while the government at its creation was much more progressive And it's kind of disturbing to have this disconnect because this allows camps like this to exist to have a conversion th- camp a conversion therapy camp be hidden behind the facade of a summer camp like a um like a military summer camp that you would find in the United States to have that hidden behind this to have it hidden behind a ex-apartheid era soldier that was a white supremacist and neo-Nazi separatist and wanted to take control and make the government body white and have the Caucasians and the whites being power and it's extremely, it's just disturbing because whenever the person who conducted this investigation um, this investigation on I believe it was it was The Guardian and TheGuardian.com I'll have um, I'll provide a link to all my sources somehow um, whether that be after the video or not video after this episode, or not. Have, you know, have it on my website. I will have all the links cited. And so way, if you want to look back and read all my sources, you can look back and read all my sources. Total, it's probably gonna be 20 to 25 sources. Um, but I'll provide that. Um, I'll figure out a way to provide that in this so way if you want to look back you can but this disconnect and, and this isn't even the first time this was the second time because he had cocker had another camp where two other people were killed two other a 25 year old and forgive me it didn't state the I don't believe it stated the age of the other person and they were killed in the previous camp, and he was only given a—he he was let off for um, the murder of the second child, and he was only given a short sentence under the under the first child that was killed, the 25-year-old. And he wasn't even—he was allowed to be around his children. Remember, he had seven children. He was allowed to be around his children. He wasn't—he was allowed to be around other youth. He was even allowed to, you know, keep his camp and keep it running, and an attempt to convert children in a way, not necessarily conversion therapy or gay conversion therapy, but you know, m- make a man out of a boy, and it is often um, correlated against the gay community and gay men in particular that gay men are more feminine more boyish not masculine, not manly and lesbians are going to be portrayed as more masculine, less feminine um, less femininity femininity there we go I got it, eventually but going back to what I was saying you know Making man out of making a man out of a boy. You could easily say that that is directed towards gay children. And even though conversion therapy is banned, it's not really banned. It's not enforced. It's like a law that says this. But we'll turn a blind eye on on this specific case. Or just in general, we'll turn a blind eye. It's kind of like if we had to compare it to something in the United States. It would be like, I can't think of a better, I can't think of a really good example, but I can't think back to the oil industry and the railroad industry um, with those big antitrust laws in the 1920s, in the 1910s, in the 1900s. In the late uh, 19th century. And you had these laws that said you can't buy up other companies. You cannot go and buy this company and have complete control in that regard. However, the law never stated that the CEOs and the owners of those big trusts and those big companies couldn't buy stocks and shares in the smaller companies and thus easily gain a majority. They could buy 52% of the stock and they would be the biggest um, stockholder or shareholder for that company. They would basically own that company and they could force that company to do whatever they want because at any time they could sell their stock and the company would plummet. The price of their stocks would plummet and they would be out of business. It's kind of like that. Where you have, hey, you can't you can't buy companies. But you can hide it as we're buying shares in companies. The this the conversion therapy anti-conversion therapy laws say, "Hey, you can't have con- th- conversion therapy." But I guess you could have summer camps that would try and force kids to become this specific way but that's not conversion therapy don't worry that's what that that's what it's like and it's extremely disturbing whenever you have that because it it basically allows anybody to do whatever they want and hide it as this isn't this it's something basically the same thing but it's worded differently and I'm trying to be as honest as I can here while well, I don't want to offend anybody but it's hard to not offend somebody whenever the law is this offensive so you know there is a disconnect between the legality, the legal side of South African conversion therapy laws in the social aspect, and the actuality of conversion therapy in South Africa. And this is just a case that was brought up. They're probably, you know, this is the tip of the iceberg. You know, you still have conversion therapy in the US, Um, specifically in Ohio, only five cities of banned conversion therapy and you know that's going to be like Columbus Cincinnati Cleveland Toledo um, there's one more city can't think of it off the top of my head but Columbus just banned it in 2018 and South Africa has been banned supposedly since 2010 and this the case of Raymond buys took place in 2011 sorry I got a little bit of a yawn um, I'm recording this at 620 so but it you know, it's just it is weird to see it and to see the same thing that's happening in the United States happen somewhere else. It it, it really shows that this issue is not local. It's global. Kind of like slavery still happens. It's happening everywhere. We just As the United States, we only knocked out the tip of the iceberg. And now we're starting to see what's underneath the, the tip. What's beyond sea level. What's underneath sea level for the iceberg. And conversion therapy probably isn't something that's going to go away anytime soon. It's going to be something that we're going to have to keep fighting against just like how we still have to fight for women's suffrage we still have to fight for equal rights for the African American community we still have to fight for these things this is, these things aren't going to go away with one law these things take time and they take activism but to sum things up South Africa is a fairly progressive country and i think it's important that we can learn some things from what's happening what's happened in south africa and how they they have moved forward because in the united states it is conversion therapy is still legal there was a there was a case in the 1950s in florida 1950s a mid 20th century that um, gay, young gay men were taken by the, um, a Florida town's police department, sat down and said, are you gay? And they were terrorized for being gay in the 1950s, 1960s in, in Florida. And we've, we've come a long way, but we still got a ways to go. This is only the beginning of the end of discrimination. Or maybe it's just the end of the beginning. But so let's you know. I know what I already said in, in review and summary, or just to sum things up, I've already said that. But you know, it is important to realize. It is going on in the rest of the world. And how we need to reinforce our laws in order to better protect people. In the United States we are extremely lucky because we have the, a separation of power. We have the U.S. Supreme Court we have the executive branch the judicial branch and the legislative branch. So the, the enforcement of a law or how a law is read isn't determined by who writes the law or who enforces the law. How a law, is de- how a law is judged is from the Supreme Court. So a lot of our progressive laws that we have can be traced back to the Supreme Court. The 2015 decision for gay marriage under the Obama administration was underneath the Supreme Court was underneath a Supreme Court ruling that validated or had that made um, gay marriage valid and allowed gay marriage to become legal it was all because of the US Supreme Court so I think just important to realize what's going on in the world and I think that's going to be end of today's episode i only wanted to make this 20 minutes turns out it's been about 30 so this is going to be a little bit shorter than episode two in total it's going to be an hour um i hope i didn't make anybody uncomfortable during this and i just want you to know that this i wasn't approaching this from a personal stance i was i was trying to approach it from from a moral stance I hope you guys have a good day. I hope you tune in for episode two. Um, I am recording this after episode two, so I hope I provided some context for episode two and Ukraine and conversion therapy. I hope you all have an amazing day, night. Maybe you're watching this at 2 a.m. Who knows? But I hope you have a good night or a good day. See ya.